0: Uh, and so we're going to talk about some molehills, and then we're going to talk about some mountains. How many of you guys know that <coughs> molehills aren't a big, they're not a big deal? Uh, but sometimes they can point to something that is a big deal. Um, and so i have some examples as soon as my slides come up of just some molehills that point to bigger mountains. So... Here we go. Oh, if you have your Bibles, before we get into these examples, um, you can go ahead and stick your thumb and your finger into these two places. We're going to do some pretty heavy reading a little bit later. What's so funny? Yeah. Uh, 1 Kings 11 and 2 Chronicles 24. So, yeah, we're, you can just save those two places, and we'll be doing some reading later on. Uh, but okay, yeah, let's look at some molehills that uh, point to bigger mountains behind them. Go ahead, let's go to the next one. Here we go, the typical tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, this is a funny example. Look, The uh, top at the tip of the iceberg is what I heard, uh, but in actual, the bigger iceberg is what she actually said. Now there's another side to this, and it is what I said and what she actually heard. This happens all the time in our house. Like I'll say something, and Belinda will like... I'm like, where did you get that? That's not at all what I said. So tip of the iceberg you know, is, is the most common molehill mountain type of thought. Okay, let's look at another one. Coffee, uh, bags under the eyes. This is a molehill that typically can be pointing to a bigger mountain. If you know somebody who's just got massive bags under their eyes, you might want to ask them if they're okay. They may be going through some stuff. They may be addicted to coffee. They, yeah, or they may be you know, struggling with depression. Who knows? It could be something funny. It could be something not so funny. Uh, anyways, so that's just another example of it's just a small little thing. It's just bags under the eyes, but it can be pointing to something that's much bigger and more needing to be addressed. All right, and, or what about like whenever you're hearing a little sound in your car and you don't really know what it is, but it's not a big sound. It's just a little thing. But maybe, maybe there's something that needs to be taken care of. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we're having fun. Having fun. <laughs> you got to let that cat off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so look, there's also molehills that happen here in church. And it, we're going to talk about one of them today. <clears throat> um, and I don't think it's a big deal in our church. And I want you to know that. You, you can uh, hold on a second. I want you to know that I, I, what I said a few minutes ago about worshiping alongside you guys look, I meant that like for real. Like, for real. There's, a no, there's no other group of people I'd rather be worshiping with than you guys. You're really awesome. You're awesome worshipers. I love when I'm playing bass and I'm getting to lead you guys. I love it when Steve's playing bass and I get to join in with you guys. It's really cool uh so but i've noticed a molehill i've noticed a little molehill and i know it's not important and i really don't want to preach on it except that maybe it's pointing to a mountain and the mountain is uh is very important and i think it's something that if it if it's there which molehills don't always point to mountains but if it's there then it needs to be addressed all right so here's the little molehill i've noticed go ahead belinda we got music, and we're worshiping, and then we got no music, and we all got blank faces. And then here comes the music, and we're worshiping again. Yeah. Have you guys noticed that? It happens sometimes. And it, you know what? It, and it's not always blank faces. Sometimes it's just soaking in its presence, and that's, that's more what happens in our church. Is we all just get to soaking, and then the music you know, stops, and we're still soaking. right? And that's good. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. And, and I feel like 90% of the time, that's, that's what's happening. Um, but there was something that happened like uh, when we had our, our, our worship night a while back, and it was so funny, and this just triggered in my brain that maybe this is something that needs to be talked about. And we were all worshiping, and we're having a great time, and I'm back there, and I'm painting, and we're having an awesome worship night, and then between songs, the only thing that anybody can hear is my paintbrush. And I'm like, dude, that's a problem. If, if our church is in the middle of worship, and the only sound is my paintbrush... That's kind of a problem. Like, we need to pick it up. And, you know, we didn't think much of it. Jared and I talked, and Kyle and Belinda and I, we all talked. and You know, there's, there was a lot of factors in that night. It was Good Friday, I believe, so we had just had communion, and we all had Jesus dying on a cross on our mind, uh, which is not really a celebratory type of mood. We had just put all of our sound dampening stuff up, so the acoustics in the room were completely different. And it sounded weird. Everything sounded underwater. Uh, So there was all these little factors. We didn't think much of it. But it has kind of persisted a little bit. It wasn't wasn't there today. I didn't notice much stopping between songs today, Um, especially at the end when we did that sound exercise. You guys were incredible. Y'all have no idea what it sounded like up here. You guys all have your own voices ringing in your ear, but I'm up here getting to hear everybody. Let me just tell you, it was incredible. So I'm not worried about the worship in our church at all. Uh, But what if there's something there? What if there's something where we're a bit too dependent upon leadership? Um, So I went to a church several years ago, and I played on the worship team. And the worship pastor there, she was was a really good worship pastor. She was excellent. Um, Her name was Sherry. She was awesome. I loved worshiping with them, too her big emphasis was always the transitions between songs. Uh, So we would get in there to practice before service and and she was like, okay, let's just just play this song, just the verse and the chorus, then let's look at the ending and the beginning of the next song and that's what we're really going to practice. And so we were constantly just practicing the transitions between songs because she didn't want there to be any gap. She didn't want there to be any gap between songs so that way whatever sort of Momentum, passion, uh, enthusiasm, attention span was in the previous song. We could just carry it directly into the next song and not lose anything. Really, really good philosophy, and uh, and we had really good worship there. I don't know if you've noticed that v- Kyle has a completely opposite philosophy. He's more than happy just to. I'm just going to stop playing. I'm going to just. I'm going to go ahead and take like. 90 seconds just to move my, fr- my. Uh, what is a capo? I'm going to move my capo from this fret to this fret, and I'm going to take a minute and a half to do it. A completely different philosophy. Do you know that that's purposeful? Yes. That's purposeful. Kyle does that on purpose. He leaves gaps between the songs, and he does it on purpose. And it's two different philosophies of leadership. And one of them is geared toward uh, sort of a hand-holding, um, or, um, I don't want to say, it, like, uh, you know, new believers, sometimes they need a little bit of help, right? This is all so unfamiliar to them, and they need, they need somebody to kind of keep them involved in knowing what's going on next, okay? So there's, there's a, a type of leadership that's sort of escorting, right? I'm just going to bring you along, and we're gonna, I'm just going to escort you into the presence of God, okay? And then once we get there, I'm going to get out of the way right? And I'm going to get out of the way and you can have your time with God, but I'm going to escort you. And that was what my old worship leader, Sherry, that's kind of what her mindset was. It was very escorting. It was, we're going to escort everybody. Come along now, come along children, and into the presence of God, okay? And then we're going to leave you there to have whatever you need to have. Uh, And then there's a different type of leadership, which is what Kyle really uses, which is more of a releasing type of leadership, where it's, we're gonna play some music, but really, we just kind of expect you guys to to do your thing, um, and we're not going to really hold your hand. Uh, so it's two different styles of leadership, and one of them, uh, I don't, I hate to call it for like advanced worshipers. Like I feel like Chris Valentin would blast me if he heard me say that. <laughs> like, what is it, a beginning worshiper versus advanced worship? That's silly. It's ridiculous. But there is, there's something there as far as People who have worshipped for years, uh, they're in such a mindset of worship that it doesn't matter what's happening in front of them. Tilly's like this. You know Tilly's in here worshiping before worship even begins. She calls it prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but but watch her. Watch her and see if it's actually prayer or not. It's not. She's worshiping. She's worshiping. She can't hide it. Yeah, And we have several people like that in this church that, I mean, Kyle could be up here playing... Metallica covers on an out of tune ukulele, and they'd still be worshiping. I'm telling you, there's worshippers like that in this church. They don't even pay attention to what's going on on the stage. They're like, "I'm here to worship God. I'm going to His throne room. I couldn't care less if you go there first, right?" <laughs> that and that is a that sort of worship. It gets bogged down if the leadership is an escorting type of leadership. Okay, and we have more of that type of worshipers in our home, in our house than we do uh, of the other kind. And so Kyle's philosophy of releasing, of I'm going to take a minute and a half to move my capo, it's it's, sorry, you weren't in here when I was talking about that. That is a releasing type of leadership. And it's meant for the worshipers like Tilly, who don't even notice that the music has stopped. Okay? Right, but look, check it out. If our church looks kind of like this... If Kyle is leaving nice long gaps between the songs for us to make our own song, for us to lift up our own praises, whether they're song or not, you know, half the time I'm, I'm trying to sing my own song during their gaps, and really I'm just like saying the same three words over and over again because I can't think of anything else. Or I'm just like, it's just like a sudden spontaneous prayer time. I'm not even singing anymore. I'm just praying out loud. And But if Kyle leaves these gaps and there's only a few people that are doing that. And everybody else has got, like, this girl in the front row cracks me up. <laughs> what song's next? Let me know when you're going to strum them strings again. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of people doing that, then oh, really God, it doesn't bother me during worship. All of this is just practice anyways. What happens, what happens in this room, it's just, it's just practice for what we do out there there's the rub Uh, because if we're so dependent on leadership that we have to have our worship leaders playing music in order for us to worship what happens when we leave church and there's the mountain there's the mountain if we're so dependent on leadership that we have to have music in front of us to worship what happens when we're outside of this building and when we're off of this property are we the same christians If we're not the same worshipers in music as we are outside of worship, or if we're not the same worshipers within music that we are outside of music, then I wonder if we're the same Christians within church that we are outside of church. Is that not a mountain that maybe we need to address if it's there? And I don't know if it's there or not, but just in case, let's talk about it. All right? All right. All right. Everybody, everybody's looking at me like, this thing just got real. <laughs> <laughs> Relax, guys, all right? We're just going to talk about some stuff. Um, <clears throat> and it might apply to you, and it might not apply to you, but the last thing I want is for anybody here to feel condemned or called out. That's not at all. We, we just talked about it in the men's. We don't call people out here. We call people up, yeah. Right? So look, you have your mess, I have my mess, we all have messes, and God knows about those messes, and He wants to help us clean them up. But look, my job is to call you up, not to call you out. Alright? So we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about if you're too dependent on leadership. And if you are, you can address it. And if you're not, then I appreciate your listening. Alright? Okay, so relax, let's let's just go through this. Um, what are we thinking about at home? What's on our thought? What's on our brain when we're at home? When we're at church, we're thinking about God, for the most part. You know, I know that you have moments, you know, where I know I do, where suddenly I'm thinking about, oh, man, fill in the blank. My brain just goes, bring, gone. Somewhere it happens. But for the most part, when I'm at church, I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about my destiny. I'm thinking about my purpose. I'm thinking about how can I help the kingdom to, to progress Right? How can I take my Christianity to the next level? How can I take my faith to the next level? How can I take my obedience to the next level? These are the things I'm thinking about in church. Am I thinking about those things at home? Or am I just thinking about, man, I've got to mow the lawn. Dude, why do I got patches in my lawn? I've got to get some weed and feed. Why is this weed and feed so expensive? Is there a better brand of weed and feed that I can get? I need to go Google weed and feed. (laughs) Like, what happened to my destiny and my purpose? Did it become weed and feed? No, it didn't become weed and feed. I forgot about my destiny and purpose because I'm worried about patches of dead grass in my lawn. Huh. Well, what's on your mind when you go home? Just something to think about. What are our conversations like at work? Oh, man, I know this is a big one. Man, you guys, please don't be those Christians that are all holier than thou at church. And then you go to work and you're talking bad about your coworkers. Let's not be that way. And I don't think we are. I don't think there's anybody in this church like that. But there are Christians like that. Trust me, there are Christians like that. And I expect all of you guys to walk with consistency, right? So the conversations that you have here at church, they're not always about God. Look, I, I talk about soccer here at church more than anywhere else, mostly because Kyle and Jared actually know what I'm talking about. I love you guys. <laughs> you know, but <clears throat> there's a certain uh, um, honor and respect and humility and submittedness to God that takes place even in a soccer conversation. Do you understand? Like we're talking soccer, but underneath the surface, we're building our brothership. Okay? And These are the type of conversations that happen at church. May- maybe you're maybe you're in a car with Monty out in the parking lot talking about John, and they that's hey that's very spiritual and that's excellent. We want to have conversations like that at our church. We want to be, you know, talking about the Bible, talking about you know our faith, uh, but. Uh, you know, I'm not so naive to think that that's every single conversation that happens at church, but I do believe that every single conversation that happens at church is building a connection between the believers. They're all they're all building something stronger, a bond. Okay. Are you building those same kind of bonds at work when you're talking with your coworker about, you know, Project Runway? Kyle, you know you watch Project Runway. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to your coworker about whatever TV show it is. Are you just passing the time? Or are you really trying to connect with them in a way that you can minister to them? Does that make sense? It's not just the topic of our conversations that matters, but it's the purpose of our conversations that matter. And, and if you're really living a Christian lifestyle, it doesn't matter what you're talking about with someone. You're going to influence them. They're going to feel like they've been with Jesus. Okay? All right. Just another thing to think about. What are your conversations like? That can be another, another uh, signal that maybe something needs to change. <clears throat> Do we have a different set of ideals for church versus everywhere else? This, this talks about our goals in life. Right? I come to church and my goal in life is to, is to, you know, be a better family pastor, right? Beef up my curriculum that I've written, you know, make it better. Uh, my, I come here to church and my ideals are, uh, um, you know, to sharpen up on the bass, you know. I want to be a better bass player and fewer wrong notes, make it tighter, uh, you know, make my worship that much more excellent. And then I go home and, you know, my, my ideals are, man, I've got to get better at chess, serious. I'm on this weird kick right now where I'm trying to get better at chess. How random is that? Did God call me to be better at chess? I don't think he did. I don't think he did, but I've been playing a lot of chess lately, and this is a really good example of how, how our ideals change, how our goals in life, they change. As soon as we walk out of the church, we start like with other random goals that God didn't really ask us to chase after. My friend, uh, he was for a living, I edit videos. I shoot and edit and create videos uh, for the company that I work for. And I have a really close friend of mine, and we worked together for three years, and then he called it quits to move to another company. And I told him the day we we met early for coffee, and he told me, man, I'm going to put my two weeks in today. You know, I got to go. And I told him, listen, man, I, I just want you to remember that you're a child of God before you're a video editor you're not a video editor you're a child of god and you have a purpose and you have a destiny outside of your career and you know for me it is just a job i go in i put my 40 hours i'm, I'm good at making videos uh, but it really doesn't bleed over into my home life i don't make videos at home but my friend he does that's that's his that's his life man he is a video maker and when it, he does, he'll put 40 hours in at, at, at his company, and he'll put 60 hours in at home. And he has better equipment at home than he has at work. He is a video guy. And so it was very hard for me to try to tell him, look, you're not a video guy. You're not an editor. You're not a filmmaker. Okay? And remember that. You're a child of God first. And you have a purpose, and you have calling, and you have tasks that need to be done. Before all those other things, you know what? That was a gut check for me, and I kind of hope it's a gut check for you, because we are children of God before anything else, and we like to put our careers in a, in a or our whatever it is in a place of, of of attention. But really, we just need to replace that with God, and put Him in a place of attention. This is what the disciples did. All 12 of them. They put aside where their attention was and they put Jesus in its place. And they lived for Jesus. Every day. That's the example that's been set for us. And I'm not saying you need to become homeless and, you know, fly to India or whatever. But I'm asking you, where are your ideals? And when you come to church, are they in one place, and then when you go home, are they in another place? Something to think about. At what point does all this become practicing falsehood? Because at some point it does. At At some point, we become certain people outside of church, and certain people in church, that it literally qualifies as practicing falsehood. And I say quotes because that's a biblical phrase from Revelations 22, 12 through 14. Jesus said, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates of the city, into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Man, it just got real again. At what point... Are we different people outside of church that we become people who are practicing falsehood? That's kind of scary. I don't want to be outside the city. Jesus said the people who practice falsehood are gonna be outside the city. I don't want to be outside of the city. If that means I gotta delete my chess app, I will delete the chess app. <laughs> right? You guys see what I'm I mean, you see what I'm getting at here. I don't want to be someone who practices falsehood. And it's very easy to drift into that person. One person at church, another person when you go home. One person when the music's playing, a different person when the music stops. It's just, just molehills, but they point to mountains. All right? All right? Now for the clever phrase. It's time for us to move those mountains by faith. That's right. That's your, that's your preacher phrase for the day. <laughs> All right, let's jump over into 2 Kings 11. We're going to do some reading. <clears throat> 2 Kings 11. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's an awesome story. And then we're going to read the... First, First, First Kings. Oh. Said- hmm. <laughs> My note says second, but I'm pretty sure it's first. Let me see somebody. Let me see your Bible, because I I did a lot of copy and pasting. Solomon's wives? No, Second Kings. <laughs> We're not talking about Solomon's wives. <laughs> I will say this though, man, Solomon he yeah. He loved him some lady. And he paid for it. That's, uh, in the end, that's basically what ruined his legacy. That's crazy, man. This couldn't give up his one craving. Only had one craving. He loved God. He loved God. He was so wise. But he had one craving that he couldn't get rid of, and then that ruined all of his legacy. Ooh, man. Okay, not talking about Solomon's wives. Second Kings. Thought he had like seven hundred of them. Are you kidding me? Good night, dude. Tap the brakes. Uh, ain't no need for that. Okay. When is everybody there? Second Kings eleven. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Okay, so we're jumping right into kings, which just talks about one king going for another king to another king to another king to another king. So we're just jumping in at one of those transitions. One of the kings got killed and the mother freaked out and she started killing the whole royal family. Second verse. But Jehoshiba, the daughter of King Jehoram, sorry, And the sister of Ahaziah took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide them from Athaliah so that he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. I want you to make a quick note of that. This boy spent the the first six years of his life living at the temple. I mean, he was hidden so that they wouldn't come and kill him, but he was living at the temple in the presence of God. Okay? In the seventh year, Jehoiada... This is the hero of the story. He's the priest. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of the units of the hundred, the Kerites, and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord... Then he showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is what you are to do. You who are in three companies that are going on duty on Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third at the Gate, and a third at the gate behind the guard, who take turns guarding the temple. And you who are in the other two companies that normally go off Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king each of you with weapon in hand, and anyone who approaches your ranks is to be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. The commanders excuse me. The commanders of units of a hundred did just as Jehoiada the priest had ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath, and those who were going off duty, and they came to Jehoiada the priest. Then he gave the commanders the spears and the shields that had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Look, this is over a hundred years after King David. So that says something about the levels of maintenance that existed in the temple of the Lord. The guards, each with his weapon in hand, stationed themselves around the king near the altar and the temple from the south side to the north side of the temple. Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him, and the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards, now this woman murdered the whole royal family and then basically took command for six years, and then she hears this going on. She heard the noise made by the guards and the people. She went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar as the custom was. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Then Athelia tore her robes and called out, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada, the priest, ordered the commanders of the units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put the sword to anyone who follows her. For the priest had said she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. Make a note of that. He said she cannot be put to death in this temple. So they seized her and as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds and there she was put to death. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people all of the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols to pieces and killed Matan the priest of Baal in front of the altars. Then Jehoiada the priest posted guards at the temple of the Lord. He took with him the commanders of the hundreds, the charites and the guards and all of the people of the land and together they brought the king down from the temple of the Lord and went into the palace, entering by the way of the gate of the guards. The king then took his place on the royal throne all of the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was calm, because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. All right, chapter 12, just the first few verses. He was seven years old. In the seventh year of Jehu, this was Jehu was the king of Israel at the time. Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for forty years. His mother's name was Ziba. Zebiah, sorry. She was from Beersheba. Joash, this, this is the key verse right here, that all day long. Chapter 12, verse 2, this is the verse. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all of the years Jehoiada was the priest. The priest instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incest there. So he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as long as the priest was there instructing him. But what happened, you can go ahead and put the next slide up. It just kind of summarizes everything we just read. Joash was placed on the throne by a godly man, the priest. Joash did right as long as the priest was instructing him. But what happened when the priest wasn't instructing him? Let's flip over to Second Chronicles 24. We're going to start at verse 14. giving you time to find the verse okay is everybody there did you get that recorded Kyle we need to include that in the worship next week (laughs) second chronicles 24 when they had finished this is uh how many of you guys guys have heard the story of joash repairing the temple And the priest put a chest outside, and he put a hole in the top of the chest. All right, this is on the tail end of that story. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, and with it uh, were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings and also the dishes and other objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now, Jehoiada was old and full of years. He died at the age of 130. Wow. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good that he had done in Israel for God and his temple. The priest was buried with the kings. He was a good priest. Verse 17 after the death of Jehoiada the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king and he listened to them they abandoned the temple of the Lord the god of their ancestors and worshiped Asherah poles and idols because of their guilt God's anger excuse me God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. This is a king who spent the first six years of his life living in the temple, who had been guided uh, for, for years and years by an incredibly godly man, who had been mentored by this man, But he was too dependent on that man. And he was too dependent on that leadership. And he never developed himself as a godly man. Verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you, but they plotted against him. And by the order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Wow. Joash had witnessed the priest saying she cannot be killed in the temple. And somehow the script got so flipped and here he is giving the order to have the priest's son stoned to death in the temple. Wow. Verse 23. No. Verse 22. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see this and call you to account. At the turn of the year, an army of Aram marched against Joash and invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all of the plunder to their king in Damascus. Although the Aramian army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army because Judah had forsaken the Lord and the God of their ancestors, and judgment was executed upon Joash. What a crazy story. Can I just say that is an insane story? That That is like beyond belief. But, I mean, it's true. It's in the Bible. Come on. How did this guy go off the deep end? He was too dependent on leadership. He was too dependent on leadership. He didn't develop himself as a leader. What molehills existed during the good years that may have pointed toward this lack of development? I'll tell you one right now. Did you realize that Joash ordered Jehoiada, the priest, to have the temple repaired? They said, Look, get some money together and get the temple repaired. Jehoiada, as amazing as he was, he didn't do a very good job of this. He was an incredible man of God, but apparently wasn't a great project manager uh, because for 23 years, the temple did not get repaired. And finally, for some reason, uh, Joash says, Jehoiada, how come for 23 years the temple hasn't been repaired? I thought I told you to get some money together and get the temple repaired. And, you know, Jehoiada says, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. Sorry, Uh and the king says, no, 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 look. I'm rearranging the way the money's flowing here, and the money is going to flow to the people who are going to oversee the repair of the temple. And they did it, and everything worked out, and they got the temple repaired, and they had plenty of money left over. Uh, and Jehoiada was fine. He just wasn't a good project manager. And the king saw that, and he said, look, you be the priest. I'll get somebody else to manage the project. But why did it take 23 years? Why did it take 23 years for Joash who spent the first six years of his life in the temple to care about the temple enough to go check up if it's being repaired or not. That's a red flag to me. That's a molehill that's pointing to a mountain. Somewhere, this guy doesn't care about the temple. Somewhere inside, he doesn't care. What's going on? What else was there? There was a time when uh, uh, a king with an army came against Jerusalem, and they attacked another city and they were about to come in Jerusalem and do you know what Joash's reaction was he took all of the uh, uh, priceless articles that had been dedicated to the Lord uh, by David by all the kings before him even the articles that he had dedicated to the Lord at the temple he took all of them bundled them all together and sent them to the king and said please don't invade Jerusalem and the king said alright well we've already got the plunder we might as well not kill the people and the king left This guy sold all of the priceless artifacts and heirlooms. Heirlooms. Not just his family heirlooms, the nation's heirlooms, the Lord's heirlooms, these priceless articles. And he sold them. Instead of just talking to God and saying, Will you defend us? That's a red flag. There were molehills that were pointing to the mountain that this guy was not close to God, did not care about the temple, and was too dependent upon the leadership of the priest. So let me ask you this. What leaders are in your life that you're too dependent upon? Are there some? I don't know. Are there men of God who you'll go listen to their sermons and you'll just soak it in, but it doesn't change you? What would it be like, what would you be like if God called those leaders home? If, if everything is right, then the people who are mentoring you and you're receiving leadership from, whether they know you or not, if they are removed from the picture, then you step up and you continue their progress. That's When all is right, that's what happens. You take their progress and you build upon it and you continue their progress. You continue uh, uh, the goals that the men, the leaders before you had. When all is not right, you become a different person. And that can look like anything. It it can look like you you becoming a hermit and just never leaving your house. It can look like you becoming as evil as Joash. As crazy as that sounds, it happened. This guy went insane. It's so important that we follow the leaders that God has put in our life in a way where we are becoming them and becoming God, becoming more like Christ. Instead, of just listening to what they say okay it's so important look I know I picked like the most graphic story to illustrate this <laughs> this is not what happens 100% of the time right but it's a graphic story and I wanted to illustrate the point We're we're in the middle of a of a sort of series on leadership right now and I think it's so important that you realize you're not called to follow leaders you're called to become a leader Okay. This is why when I started out service today, I I was purposeful when I said, let's let today be about development. Let's let today be about personal growth. Because you're not called to follow me. Period. You're not called to follow Jared. You're called to be a leader. Are you going to answer the calling? All right. Don't underestimate the little holes. All right? In worship, like we talked about, this is practice, like I said. Everything that happens in this room is practice. So use it. Use this time to set a standard in your heart. When worship time reaches one of those awesome gaps that Kyle leaves, again, he does it on purpose, guys. It does not take a minute and a half to move a capo, (laughs) he does it on purpose when he leaves those gaps therefore you take advantage of those gaps fill those holes with worship with praise with prayer with sound with anything with something fill them not because it matters here but because it sets a standard in your heart so that whenever you leave here you're able to fill the holes in your life okay we all you look we all have times in our day whenever we don't have to be focused on anything what are you doing with those holes Let's start filling them with worship. Pay attention to the holes. Don't underestimate the power of the holes. All right? Last thing, last thing. And this is kind of a disclaimer. Your responsibility to yourself to become a leader does not exempt me from the responsibility of being a leader, nor Jared or Vanessa or our wives or anybody who's a leader at this church. Okay? Okay? we still have a very serious obligation to giving you strong, godly leadership. And you have a right to expect from us godly leadership, right? And if you don't feel like we're giving it all we've got, we expect you guys to call us out on it. We don't do calling out in this church. We do calling out, but look, you can call me out on that. You can. You can. You have a right to expect your leaders to be strong leaders. Okay, all right. So just because I expect you guys to become leaders doesn't mean you can. Doesn't mean it's okay for me to slack off as a leader. All right. Then that's just just to let you know. That's all I have for today. Um, I don't know how much of this really applies I don't because I don't know what all of you guys do when you go home I don't know I hope that this was a completely worthless sermon (laughs) in a perfect world that would be the case Um, but just in case it's not we need to pray into it we need to pray into it and I'm, I'm not interested in um embarrassing anybody if you want to confess your sins to a brother which is so important please do that but I'm not going to make you like stand right now or anything like that I just encourage you to be open and honest with your brothers in Christ with your sisters in Christ and uh, you know make yourself accountable to somebody put yourself in touch with somebody during the day so that the things that the God is trying to improve in you uh you have a partner in those things. Yeah? This is we talked about this as the men things. It's so it's so important. It's so important for you to be shoulder to shoulder, elbow and elbow with the people who, who are walking with you. It doesn't do any good if we're all marching together, but cheer off on your own in some ravine. It doesn't do any good at all. We're all in this together, so be in touch with somebody and make yourself accountable to them. Alright? And then let's all stand and pray together because i think this probably at least a little bit applies to all of us you know so let's all pray together and i'll let you i'll let you worry about how much of a change you need in your life okay lord i just thank you for um for the way that you shine light on things and you 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 identify the areas Uh, where we need to improve you identify the areas uh, where we're vulnerable to the enemy and you do it in a way that never makes us feel condemned or lesser of people we we just feel like it's just something that needs to be taken care of and your love is always shining through and i love that about you god you can be so angry and yet it's still so obvious that you love us and to a point that I don't even know when you're angry. And I, I love, and I want to be like that, God. I want to be like that. And we just ask you now to help us each uh, to develop as godly people, as godly leaders. Um, help us not just to be dependent upon uh, the person in front of us. Help us have a mind of our own. Help us to have initiative of our own. Uh, and help us to have obedience to you Instead of just blindly following uh, whatever sort of prophet or preacher we want to. Lord, I know that you've put this amazing capacity uh, for change in each one of us. You've put this amazing power of influence in every single one of us. Um, And those things will will not come out unless we can follow you. Unless we can make you our leader. So right now, God, we just want to break uh, whatever sort of of over-dependence upon human leadership that we have. We're just going to break that right now, God. And we just want to put you in a place of our leader. You're our captain. You're our boss. You're the big cheese. And we're going to follow you. We're going to pay attention to you. We're going to listen to your voice. We're going to do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, you're free to go, but I wish you wouldn't because I love having you here. Feel free to stick around and chat and drink coffee and take a nap in the chairs if you want. You know, whatever you want to do. Hey, look, there's a prayer room. You can play racquetball if you want. Just stick around. (laughs) Oh, Kyle said no. Kyle said no. Sorry. Seriously, stick around. Uh, build fellowship. If you need prayer for anything, please come up front. If you want to give your life to Christ, if you haven't, if you want to recommit your life to Christ, please come up. Let's talk. Uh, If you've never said, Jesus, I'm yours, come up, come up, and we'll walk you through that commitment. And if you need healing, your bodies, you need financial help, whatever it is, come up. We want to pray for you. If not, have a good day. We love you guys, and we'll see you around.